He's debated the top atheist scholars, philosophers, and scientists in the world today on the existence of God and shown that belief in God is rational, reasonable, holds up to intense scrutiny, and is in fact the superior worldview. Today, you'll hear Dr. William Lane Craig give evidence from science, history, and philosophy that God exists. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. Dr. Zuckerman is a scholar, author, and speaker who addresses spiritual and cultural issues of concern to all of us. Dr. Craig joined Pat at the 2011 Hawaii Apologetics Conference, and today we'll bring you part one of his fascinating presentation on the existence of God. And by the way, this entire conference featuring Dr. William Lane Craig and Dr. Zuckerman is available on our website, evidenceandanswers.org. Along with the conference, you'll find articles, books, interviews, and past radio shows on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Check it out today. And now, here's Dr. William Lane Craig with part one of Five Evidences for God. What I want to do in my talk is give you some actual arguments for the existence of God that I hope you'll memorize and that you can then share with a non-believer the next time you're asked, well, what reasons are there to believe in God? Is there any evidence that God exists? After this session, I hope you'll be able to answer that question with confidence. C.S. Lewis once remarked that God is not the sort of thing that you can be moderately interested in. After all, if God doesn't exist, there's no reason to be interested in him at all. On the other hand, if God does exist, then that is supremely interesting. And life's most important question will be, how am I to be properly related to this being upon whom I depend moment by moment for my very existence? So people who shrug their shoulders and say, oh, what difference does it make whether God exists, merely show that they haven't thought very deeply about this question. Even atheist philosophers like Sartre and Camus, who have thought deeply about this question, recognize that the existence of God makes a tremendous difference for man. So let me begin by mentioning three reasons why it makes a big difference whether God exists. Number one, if God does not exist, then life is ultimately meaningless. If God does not exist, then like all biological organisms, man is doomed to end finally in death. And if your life does end in death, then ultimately it does not matter how you live. In the end, it makes no ultimate difference whether you even existed or not. Now, certainly, your life might have a relative significance in that you influenced other people or you affected the course of world history. But ultimately speaking, mankind is doomed to perish in the eventual heat death of the universe. Ultimately, it makes no difference who you are or what you do. Your life is inconsequential. Thus, the contributions of the scientist to the advance of human knowledge, the researches of the doctor to alleviate pain and suffering, the efforts of the diplomat to secure peace in the world, the sacrifices of good people everywhere to better the lot of the human race, in the end, all of these come to nothing. They don't make one bit of difference, not one bit. And thus, if God does not exist, life is ultimately meaningless. Secondly, if God does not exist, then we must ultimately live 
without hope. If there is no God, then ultimately speaking, there is no hope for deliverance from the shortcomings of our finite existence. For example, there is no hope for deliverance from evil. Although many people ask how God could create a world involving so much evil and suffering as this one, by far most of the evil in the world is the result of man's own inhumanity to man. The horror of two world wars during the last century effectively destroyed the 19th century's naive optimism about the inevitability of human progress. If God does not exist, then we are locked without hope in a world that is filled with gratuitous and unredeemed suffering, and there is no hope for deliverance from evil. Or again, if there is no God, then ultimately there is no hope of deliverance from aging, disease, and death. Although it may be hard for those of you who are young this evening to contemplate, the sober fact is that unless you die young, someday you, you yourself, will be an old man or an old woman fighting uh, an inevitably losing battle against deterioration, disease, and maybe eventually senility. As one who has reached the age when I've had to bury uh, one of my parents, this is a very sobering realization. When I saw my father, who was a robust, uh, successful businessman, reduced by Parkinson's disease to a, a shadow of his former self, it brought home to me the futility of life without God. Finally and inevitably, we all die, and there is no afterlife beyond the grave on atheism. Thus, atheism is ultimately a philosophy without hope. Thirdly, on the other hand, if God does exist, then not only are meaning and hope possible, but it is also possible to come to know God and his love personally. Now think of that, that the infinite God of the universe should love you and want you to be his personal friend. Clearly, if God exists, this would make not only a tremendous difference for mankind in general, but it could make a life-changing difference for you personally. Now, admittedly, none of this shows that God exists, but it does show that it makes a tremendous difference whether God exists. And therefore, even if the evidence for and against the existence of God were absolutely equal, the rational thing to do, I think, is to believe in God. That is to say, it seems to me positively irrational, if the evidence is equal, to prefer death, futility, and despair, to hope, meaningfulness, and life. And therefore, I'm inclined to say that if the evidence is absolutely equal, the rational thing to do is to believe in God. But, in fact, I don't think that the evidence is absolutely equal. I think there are good reasons to believe that God exists. And tonight I want to share briefly five of those reasons. Now, whole books have been written on each one of these arguments, so all I have time to do is to give a brief sketch of each argument. I hope that you will learn these arguments. They're short, they're easy to memorize, and be able to share them then when called upon to do so. 
Now, as travelers along life's way, it's our goal to make sense of the way the world is, to try to understand the way the world is. And I believe that the hypothesis that God exists makes sense out of a wide range of the data of human experience. Number one, God makes sense of the origin of the universe. Have you ever asked yourself why the universe exists? Where did the universe come from? Why is there anything rather than just nothing? Well, typically atheists have said that the universe is just eternal, and that's all. But surely this is unreasonable. Just think about it for a minute. If the universe never had a beginning, then that means that the series of past events in the history of the universe is infinite. But mathematicians recognize that the existence of an actually infinite number of things leads to self-contradictions. For example, what is infinity minus infinity? Well, mathematically, you get self-contradictory answers. You can get any answer from zero to infinity. This shows that infinity is just an idea in your mind, not something that exists in reality. David Hilbert, who was perhaps the greatest mathematician of the 20th century, writes, the infinite is nowhere to be found in reality. It neither exists in nature nor provides a legitimate basis for rational thought. The role that remains for the infinite to play is solely that of an idea. But that entails that since past events are not just ideas in your mind but are real, the number of past events must be finite. Therefore, the series of past events can't just go back and back forever. Rather, the universe must have begun to exist. This conclusion has been confirmed by remarkable discoveries in astronomy and astrophysics during the 20th century. The astrophysical evidence indicates that the universe began to exist in a great explosion called the Big Bang about 13.7 billion years ago. Lay people, I find, do not understand that according to the Big Bang Theory, all matter and energy, even physical space and time themselves, came into being at the moment of the Big Bang. According to the physicist PCW Davies, the creation of the universe, as discovered in modern science, is not just a matter of imposing some sort of order upon a previous incoherent state, but literally the coming into being of all physical things from nothing. Thus, what the Big Bang model requires is that the universe began to exist and was created out of nothing. Now, this tends to be extremely awkward for the atheist. For as Anthony Kenny of Oxford University urges, a proponent of the Big Bang theory, at least if he is an atheist, must believe that the universe came from nothing and by nothing. But surely that doesn't make sense. Out of nothing, nothing comes. So why does the universe exist instead of just nothing? Where did it come from? There must have been a transcendent cause which brought the universe into being. 
And we can summarize our argument thus far as follows. And I think we've got a PowerPoint here to go along with the outline. A, whatever begins to exist has a cause. B, two, the universe began to exist. Three, therefore the universe has a cause. And given the truth of the two premises, the conclusion necessarily follows. Now, by the very nature of the case, this cause must be an uncaused, changeless, timeless, spaceless, immaterial being which created the universe. It must be uncaused because we've seen there cannot be an infinite regress of causes. You must come to an absolutely first uncaused cause. This cause must be timeless and therefore changeless, at least without the universe, because it created time and therefore must transcend time. Because it also created space, it must transcend space as well and therefore must be immaterial, not physical. Moreover, I want to argue it must also be personal. Ask yourself this question, how else could a timeless, changeless cause give rise to a temporal effect like the universe. If the cause were just a, a mechanically operating set of necessary and sufficient conditions, then the cause could never exist without its effect. For example, the cause of water's freezing is the temperatures being below zero degrees centigrade. Now, if the temperature were below zero degrees from eternity past, any water that was around would be frozen from eternity past. It would be impossible for the water to begin to freeze just a finite time ago. If the changeless cause is given timelessly, then the effect will be eternal as well. So how, in the case of the universe, do you have a timeless, changeless cause and yet an effect which only began to exist a finite number of years ago. It seems to me that the only answer to this dilemma is if the cause is a personal agent endowed with freedom of the will and who can therefore spontaneously produce a new effect without any prior determining conditions. For example, a man who has been sitting from eternity could freely will to stand up and thus you would have a new effect arise from an eternal cause. And therefore we're brought not merely to a transcendent cause of the universe, but to its personal creator. Isn't it incredible then that modern cosmology confirms what the Christian theist has always believed, that in the beginning God created the universe. Now, I simply put it to you, which is more plausible, that the Christian theist is right, or that the universe just popped into being uncaused out of absolutely nothing? I at least don't have any trouble assessing these alternatives. Number two, God makes sense of the complex order in the universe. During the last 40 years or so, scientists have been stunned by the discovery that the existence of intelligent life depends upon a complex and delicate balance of initial conditions simply given in the Big Bang itself. Scientists once believed that whatever the initial conditions of the universe might have been, eventually intelligent life might evolve. 
But now, in fact, we know that our existence is balanced on a knife's edge. It is vastly more probable that a life-prohibiting universe should exist than any life-permitting universe. The existence of intelligent life depends upon a conspiracy of initial conditions which must be fine-tuned to a degree that is literally incalculable and incomprehensible. This fine-tuning is of two types. First, when the laws of nature are expressed as mathematical equations, you find appearing in them certain constants, like the gravitational constant. The values of these constants are independent of the laws of nature. The laws of nature are consistent with a wide range of values of these constants. Secondly, in addition to these constants, there are certain arbitrary quantities which are simply put in as initial conditions on which the laws of nature then operate. For example, the amount of entropy in the early universe or the balance between matter and antimatter. And all of these constants and quantities must fall into an extraordinarily narrow range of life-permitting values. If they were to be altered by less than a hair's breadth, the balance would be destroyed and life could not exist. For example, Stephen Hawking has estimated that if the rate of the universe's expansion one second after the Big Bang had been smaller by even one part in a hundred thousand million million, the universe would have recollapsed long ago into a hot fireball. PCW Davies has calculated that in order to be suitable for later star formation, the initial conditions of the universe had to be fine-tuned to precision of one followed by a thousand billion billion zeros, at least. He also estimates that a change in the subatomic weak force by only one part out of 10 to the 100th power would have prevented a life-permitting universe. Roger Penrose of Oxford University has calculated that the odds against the initial conditions of the universe having the low entropy condition that it does are on the order of one chance out of 10 to the power of 10 to the power of 123. A number which is so incomprehensible that to call it astronomical would be a wild understatement. All of these constants and quantities must fall into this exquisitely narrow range of life-permitting values in order for the universe to permit life anywhere in the cosmos. And it's not just each quantity which has to be finely tuned in this way. Their ratios to one another must also be exquisitely fine-tuned. So improbability is multiplied by improbability by improbability until our minds are reeling in incomprehensible numbers. Now, there are only three possibilities for explaining this remarkable fine-tuning of the universe. Natural law, chance, or design. The first alternative holds that the fine-tuning of the universe is physically necessary. There's some unknown theory that would explain why the constants and quantities have the values they do. And there's really no chance or little chance of the universe's not being life-permitting. By contrast, the second alternative says that the fine-tuning of the universe is due entirely to chance. It's just an accident 
that the constants and quantities all fall into the narrow life-permitting range and we're the lucky beneficiaries. The third alternative rejects both of these accounts in favor of an intelligent mind behind the cosmos who designed the universe to permit life. And the question is, which of these three alternatives is the most plausible? Well, the first alternative, physical necessity or law, seems extraordinarily implausible. There's just no physical reason why these constants and quantities have the values they do. As I've already said, these constants are independent of the laws of nature and therefore cannot be explained by nature's laws. And there is simply nothing to account for the arbitrary quantities that serve as the initial conditions. As Paul Davies says, even if the laws of physics were unique, it doesn't follow that the physical universe itself is unique. The laws of physics must be augmented by cosmic initial conditions. There is nothing in present ideas about laws of initial conditions remotely to suggest their consistency with the laws of physics would imply uniqueness. Far from it. It seems then, he concludes, that the physical universe does not have to be the way it is. It could have been otherwise. And thus that first alternative, physical necessity, just seems untenable. So what about the second alternative? That the fine-tuning of the universe is due to chance. Well, the problem with this alternative is that the odds against all the constants and quantities being life-permitting are so incomprehensibly great that they cannot be reasonably faced. Uh, lay people or students who just sort of blithely assert, oh, well, it could have happened by chance, simply have no idea of the fantastic precision of the fine-tuning that is necessary for life. They would never embrace this sort of hypothesis to explain any other phenomenon in their life. For example, if they woke up one morning and found an automobile in their driveway, no one would invoke the possibility of chance. And yet that is far, far more probable, incomprehensibly more probable than the fine-tuning of the universe. Now, some people have tried to escape this problem by saying we shouldn't really be surprised at the fine-tuning of the universe for intelligent life, because after all, if the universe were not fine-tuned, then we wouldn't be here to be surprised about it. Given that I am here, I should expect the universe to be fine-tuned. But I think that the fallacy of this reasoning can be made very clear by means of a parallel illustration. Imagine that you were traveling abroad and you were arrested on trumped-up drug charges and dragged in front of a firing squad of 100 trained marksmen, all with rifles aimed at your heart to be executed. You hear the command given, ready, aim, fire! And you hear the deafening roar of the guns. And then, and then, you observe that you're still alive, that all of the 100 marksmen missed. Now, what would you conclude? Well, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that they all missed. After all, if they hadn't all missed, I wouldn't be here to be surprised about it. Given that I am here, I should have expected them all to miss. Well, of course not you would immediately suspect that they all missed on purpose, that the whole thing was a setup arranged for some reason by someone. And in exactly the same way, given the incomprehensible improbability of the fine-tuning of the universe,
for intelligent life. It is rational to believe that this is not the result of chance, but of design. So once again, the view that Christian theists have always held, that there is an intelligent designer of the universe, seems to make much more sense than the atheistic view that the universe, when it popped into being, uncaused, out of absolutely nothing, just happened to be, by chance, fine-tuned to an incomprehensible precision for the existence of intelligent life. We can summarize this second argument also very simply. Premise one, the fine-tuning of the universe is due to either physical necessity, chance, or design. Two, it is not due to physical necessity or chance. Three, therefore, it is due to design. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but we'll pick it up next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucharin as Dr. William Lane Craig continues Five Evidences for God. Dr. Craig joined Pat Zucharin as part of the 2011 Hawaii Apologetics Conference and it's all available on our website, evidenceandanswers.org. This exciting conference also featured topics like science and religion, the existence of God, can we be good without God, the new atheist and their case against God, and the problem of God and evil. Download this conference and you'll take your study of these crucial topics to the next level. Go right now to evidenceandanswers.org. And we also invite you to support us financially. Your stewardship and giving helps keep Evidence and Answers on this station and keeps Pat speaking all over the world and organizing conferences like this. Today, more than ever, people need biblical answers to their questions about God and His love for us and the evidence to support those answers. So please let us hear from you today. Just click the Donate button at evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And thank you so much. Thank you for being here. 